Hi, everybody, and welcome to a live recording of this 100th Geared for Growth Property Investing podcast. And I'm joined with the man, the myth, the legend, episode number one guest, Pete Wargent. Here he is live or somewhere mythically in the interwebs that you can't hear because you're listening it on audio. Hey, Pete. G'day, Michael. I, I only do the special episodes, so I say one and 100. Will you have me back for number 1,000? 1,000. I think I might be dead by then, but if we're both still alive, you're a shoe-in for that one, mate. So let's let's talk about the podcast. So you were episode one, and for anyone that doesn't sort of know the origin story and, and cares, I kind of thought I really wanted to create a podcast mostly for my property investor clients, right? We look after them with a tax appreciation schedule. They go off into the big bad world, and we never speak to them again in some instances. So I wanted to kind of say thank you, provide some value, give something back that was more than just your you know, monthly annoyance newsletter. So what I did is I came up with three names and I thought if I ask these people to be on my podcast, that will motivate me to create one because I thought I don't have the time, I don't really know how it works. So I emailed three people. I can't remember who the other two are, which would have been great for the story, but one of them was you. And I thought, if I can get a guy like Pete Wardron on my podcast, then we're launching. I probably sold it to you like, oh, Pete, we've got 10,000 downloads every four seconds. Like, you've really got to get on board. <laughs> but you were kind enough to write back within a few minutes and say, when are we doing it? That was pretty cool. I must have been bored, Mike. Oh, uh, <laughs> that's good to know. I, I suppose if you're not a fan of the show, you've got me to blame. But, uh, yeah, I remember the episode very well. Uh, I think from memory... Uh, probably dialing in from uh, home in Sunshine Beach with poor sound quality and kids in the background and whippersnipping. So uh, hopefully we'll do a bit better this time around on audio. <laughs> we'll do what we can. I certainly do get my fair share of hate mail for the audio quality. I think a lot of that is earlier episodes. I think we're a bit better now. I've got a nice sort of fancy microphone that um, people listening can't see, but uh, we're live on on Facebook, on my channel, and on the Geared for Growth um, property channel. Now, the fourth of May, two thousand and seventeen, is when episode with your good uh, episode one with your good self came out. Pete, uh, a lot has happened in the property space since then. What are some of the key sort of highlights for yourself between twenty seventeen and now? I can think of um, straight off the bat four key things. I mean, twenty seventeen. Uh, that would take us back to the credit squeeze. Um, so people would remember there was a big surge in investors, property investors everywhere. Interest only lending was 50% of loans. So first we got the credit squeeze, then um, not too long after Labour started campaigning on negative gearing for the election, um, which wasn't such a big deal at the time. But as we got closer to the election, and the credit squeeze had already bitten, uh, that became a big issue. Uh, then we had the election result um, and the following rebound. Uh, so those are some of the key things. Then we got um, the election result itself. Um, and with, then we have, we've also had a banking royal commission. So that's the third thing. And then this year, obviously, what everyone's been talking about ad nauseum, uh, the, uh, the recession induced by the pandemic. So those are four just headline things. And that's before you even go into the detail, <laughs> yeah, and and it, and I guess it's it's not uh, it's not over yet, is it? We have got uh, the budget speech tonight. I assume they'll be handing out truckloads of cash to anyone with a truck. 
the pandemic is, is still uh, running around. We've got the 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 mortgage uh, and eviction sort of moratoriums winding back with with JobKeeper. We're definitely in the midst of a, of a big a big issue right now. Still, right? Yeah. So the the mortgage deferrals. I mean, there's always something. You'll get that if you if you're interested in property. There's always something on the horizon that's supposedly going to. Uh, end the world um i my guess is i mean when you get these known risks that everybody knows out uh, knows six months out they very rarely become the big issue that everyone thinks simply because everybody knows about it and solutions are found um friend of mine james whelan has a, a thesis called the, the theory of thing and once everybody knows about a thing um it stops being the big risk because everybody knows about it the regulators know about it um, and everybody finds a solution a good example was the interest only lending itself i must have read twenty thousand articles about how the interest only squeeze was going to end the world but all that happened in the end was uh, people changed the mortgage rates as demanded by the regulator people switched and the world continued i guess the same will happen with mortgage holidays um, there'll be a transition period where lenders have to work with stressed borrowers just to find a way through. But I mean, we've got interest rates at two to three percent now, so it's a very different environment. Mm, yeah, you're right. That, that was that was in the media as the ticking time bomb. That is interest-only loans hitting their maturation date, and everyone's going to have to now pay principal. I had a loan like that, and I ended up paying uh, going from interest to principal and interest, and paying less per month because of the the re reduction in the interest rate so yeah. that was a huge beat up it's the it's the theory of thing in action right so everybody knew about this ticking time bomb you know that it was uh, 2015 was the peak of interest only lending so in 2020 the world was going to end because that was five years after 2015 and it's like well here we are in 2020 nobody is talking about interest only lending because the issue was solved years ago and that's mm. uh I think with mortgage deferrals, yes, at the moment it appears to be a gigantic issue, but the feedback we're getting from mortgage brokers is that an awful lot of people simply took their mortgage holiday because, well, there was a lot of uncertainty back in March, April, May, and people just thought, well, let's take an insurance policy and then take a holiday on things if it's, if it's up for grabs. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, there will be some stressed borrowers um, but obviously with the market now turning uh, for the better, then that in itself reduces the risk because uh, it's, it's easier to get a resale if needed at a decent price. Um, mm. I think the, the other thing, as he touched on there, uh, I was just musing this morning, uh, John Howard driving around with his foreign debt truck uh, all those years ago. And these, I mean, that's just gone out the window since the financial crisis. Now the, the zeitgeist seems to be well, the government can print and borrow as much money as it likes. So why isn't it doing more? And that, that's not just Australia. All around the world, everybody seems to have turned socialist and uh, uh, debts and deficits just don't matter anymore. So it, it's funny how the, the times change. Um, maybe with a bit of inflation, people might uh, wind, wind their necks in a bit on that, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we will see. Let's... Um... Let's go, let's cast our minds back. If anyone was uh, around for episode one and has listened to the whole thing, uh, I'd love to hear from you. Certainly, if anyone's listening, they've got any questions or comments, chuck it in the chat. We'd love to hear from you. But 
Um, we we have a, a standard sort of onboarding couple of questions and a standard question at the end, which is if you can impart one piece of advice to property investors, what would that be? Now, your answer all the way back from the 4th of May 2017 was really just to understand the importance and the power of time and what compounding can do. I think that people always underestimate what they can achieve over the long term and they probably overestimate what they can achieve in six months. It's really what you can do over the long term by using compound growth to your benefit. It's almost immeasurable. Is there anything you would change now or add on top of that, Pete? Uh, well, I guess in the sense that it's timeless advice, no, that still applies. I think I think something you could tag on to that uh, with property is that there's that old adage that you make your money when you buy, which is kind of a cliche, but it, it is sort of true as well, because if you buy well, that, um, I mean, I, I suppose to to uh, add on the Buffettism, time is the, is the friend of the wonderful investment, but it's the enemy of the mediocre. And that's particularly true in property because the transaction costs make it really inefficient to be buying and selling. So, on that basis, it's obviously important if you're going to try and compound your results to buy well. Uh, and I suppose uh, this is kind of a bit of self-interested advice, but get some assistance with with the buying part because um, you don't necessarily have to pay a huge fee to do that. And also, it's, it's uh, if it's an investment you're going to hold for 10, 15, 20 years or even longer, then it makes a bit of sense to uh, make sure you buy well. Yeah, yeah. Um, in that episode one, you talked about how you sort of described your initial property investing as being quite lucky, purchasing some properties uh, in the UK. Do, do you, was it really luck? I mean, were you much more sophisticated later in life that helped you to get the right property? Well, this is interesting, actually, because I, I discussed it with my wife, uh, Heather, and she, she said um, that, yeah, she's absolutely adamant that you make your own luck with these things. And I, I think what was different back then is that we didn't have all of this sort of, um, the same information wasn't available um, in terms of, you know, there, there were books on property investing, but they were they were really like car user manuals, very dry. Yeah, they focused very much on the, you know, on the things like how to finance property structures and stuff. There wasn't really much in the way of, where to buy and what and sort of overall strategies and fitting it into a lifestyle. Um, but yeah, Heather, Heather was adamant that if, she always used to say, oh, look, if anyone says we're lucky, then uh, they can get stuff because you know, the times were different then. People were more fearful of higher interest rates. You had to take some risk in terms of the borrowing capacity. Uh, so yeah, I, I think luck plays a, plays a part and probably a bigger part sometimes than we appreciate. But um, on the other hand, we just stuck to what we knew, I suppose, and that's the, the sort of areas where if you know, we wanted to live, then probably other like-minded young professionals would, would do the same. So it was rather mostly a case of just sticking to what we knew, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's true. You definitely make your own luck, but gosh, you you have had some. I think one of your first investments in Australia was in Bondi, was that right? But that was... That was before any of the big numbers came out from a growth point of view, right? Yeah, I mean, again, I guess we were thinking along similar lines because uh, when I first came to Australia, I lived in in the Shire, not just because that's where the people I knew lived. But when we came to buy our first property, we were really just thinking, right, 
just like we had seen previously in London, right? Stick to good transport close to the city, close to the water for, for Sydney is obviously a big draw card. And um, yeah, I mean, so again, it, it was it was educated guessing, I suppose, on the, in the sense that we wanted to be near a train link and near the beach and near the city for work. Because um, we, we've definitely seen that in the bigger cities in Europe, that transport links over time just become more and more important as the traffic gets worse and worse. And heck, haven't we seen that over the past 20 years? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your, the the episode that we recorded, I keep going back to number one. Um, I'm nostalgic today because I'm... That's number that. one in uh, chronology, not necessarily number one in terms of quality. <laughs> well... I can't. I mean, I was I was very impressed. I can't I can't rate you on quality. That's subjective. But you you do feature in the top ten of downloads for the show. So we'll we'll come back to that in a second. But if I could summarize your your interview and perhaps even your philosophy is uh, spend less than you earn and invest the difference. I mean, that sounds very very simple, but it it it. It really is kind of the cornerstone of of what you what you practice and what you preach, right? Is it is there is there more to it than that? I mean, like we 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 spoke about getting the right investment. So you know, time is obviously uh, crippling if you're sitting on a on a dodgy investment. But is that like the one fundamental that you would like people to to really consider? Uh, well, it's certainly the the cornerstone of any. Um personal finance strategy and it's the same with a business you know a business that has more cash going out the door than coming back in doesn't matter what the, the accounts say in terms of profit but if if you're running down cash that business won't be around for long and it's, it's the same with personal finance now yes there's more to it for property investors in terms of using uh, offset accounts and redraw facilities but um, for, for people starting out in particular um, yeah you really do need to be able to spend less than you earn because otherwise it's very difficult to, to move forward. So I think, yeah, from a from a basic piece of advice point of view, um, you know, that is one of the key the key fundamentals of, of compounding your wealth and compound interest. You know, what what are the rest? Spend less than you earn, invest the difference, reinvest the profits and gains, and uh, protect your wealth. You know, if you stick to those basic rules. Then, um, if you invest well, then compounding should um, do the magic. And if if there's one thing that I've really learned over the hundred episodes that we've we've had, it's um, it's really that the the best advice is really quite simple. I think as human beings, we're looking for all the shortcuts. You've only got to sort of look at the the dieting industry. People want you know people want the the shortcuts. They don't want to sort of think of it as being well it's exercise and it's you know what you put into your body and that sort of stuff we're like you know in 10 days you could be x by only eating leek soup or something like that right well as you and i both know mike it's uh, keeping that uh, processed sugar down to a minimum and uh, doing a bit of exercise there's, there's probably as you said there's more to it than that but if you can do those two things then that's that's a really good start but it's also difficult to do because uh, you do get the sugar hit, and it's, it's exactly the same with uh, personal finances. You get a it's it's a known thing. You get a sugar hit or a rush from spending money on credit cards, and uh, retailers know that all too well. Well, Pete, your finances, I'm sure, are in pretty tip-top shape. You're looking very lean. Mine are all over the place, and uh, I've let myself go a bit, so it's a good metaphor. It seems to work in this situation. I want to take um, I want to take a minute 
to highlight some of the listener feedback for want of a better term i've never been really great at running a podcast one one ought to ask for reviews and comments and reach out and share it to your friends and all that sort of stuff so if you are listening sure please definitely do that but we've had a couple of reviews and i wonder if uh if bell is listening she might chuck a couple up onto the screen for us so uh here we are um, here's the first one. Without reading other reviews, I'm going to take a stab in the dark and say, what is with the editing or lack thereof? I do enjoy the podcast and appreciate the content, but sometimes the timing of the, next slide, here we are, in and out of guests to host is painfully annoying. Hopefully something that can be fixed soon. Thanks. Thanks in advance. I think it is fixed. I apologize. The The biggest Apology probably needs to go out to Jay Anderson, which I think is the story that I told you about, Pete, where um, I had an audio syncing nightmare and I kind of thought, I don't want to annoy him and re-record. You can still hear the gold, but it's like I'm talking over him all the time. And I got a couple of emails telling me I was exceptionally rude for that. Um, and some, And one particular person saying they didn't actually believe me that it was an editing issue. They just they're convinced that I am actually very, very rude. Now, that <laughs> may very well be the case, especially if we have a look at the next bit of feedback, um, which I think stings even more. Good, but, and this was a dot, 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 I had to cut it off to fit it on the screen. Great content and interesting guests, but I wish you would stop interrupting them with a question while they're halfway through answering your previous one. So disrespectful and unnecessary. It's like my sort of year one report card. Um, everything else was pretty rosy, but um, <laughs> well, what do we do with that information, Pete? I mean, if I'm interrupting you, please put your hand up and and, and put me on notice. I feel I feel bad because I remember when you told me that story, and I I actually laughed, and I specifically went back and found the episodes in question. I I think I mean you could you could level many criticisms at you, Mike, but I don't think being a rude bugger is one of them. So uh, I think it's interesting though how you. Uh, and this is just human nature. You focus in on the negative reviews. So, so we we kicked off a podcast uh, that we record up in the Redcliffe Peninsula, and uh, there's been another guy, Stephen Moriarty, and um, we've really enjoyed doing stuff in the studio because you don't have those audio sync issues. Obviously, it's become difficult with with the virus this year. Uh, but we, so we had 47 five star reviews, and then there was one review where somebody's piled in <laughs> with the, you know, oh, this is just two guys, you know, vehemently, dis vehemently agreeing with each other for hours on end. And of course, it's human nature. I can't remember the 46 or 46 five-star reviews. I can remember the one that shit bags you. Oh. And <laughs> I, I suppose we have a natural tendency to do that. And it, look, from a self-development point of view, it can actually hold people back. And they spend way too much time worrying about trying to please everybody when, as you said, in reality, this was just a tech issue that you've now fixed. Yeah, well, I mean, I'd like to think so. And I apologise for that review. It, I'd had a couple of reds and uh, I, I don't know, I just really uh, had to tee off on you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, definitely check out that uh, that podcast. And uh, to give you another plug as well, you've got the best uh, best blog out there for, for property. I've been following that pretty re religiously. Um I gave a bit of a teaser about the top 10, um, Pete. So quality is subjective. I'm happy to put that out to the audience if anyone wants to, to chime in on that. 
Um, but I um, yesterday we calculated the top 10 uh, by downloads. And here we are in this um, Pete Wargent PR exercise, episode one, 100. And you actually found yourself at number one position for the top downloaded podcast. There you go. Well, I can only... Well, sorry, now no, I'm interrupting you now. So <laughs> it's, it's contagious. Uh, I, well, that's very gratifying. Of course, that was the oldest episode. So even just from a chronology point of view, it should have more downloads than some of the newer episodes. But that's, uh, it's good to hear. I, I don't know how many of those are me listening back to it. I, I don't think it's too many. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? It's uh, 90% <laughs> of them are uh, you listening to yourself. Well, I mean, yes, you're very, you're very humble, but from a chronology point of view, the, 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 next, uh, the next episode in the top 10 was, was episode 49, and it didn't get any closer to the pointy end. Um, it was normally sort of 50 and 60 when we're hitting our straps. So there you go. You've got to accept that one. So um, I'll go down the list. I should have got a graphic for this, but then people are listening at home. So um, in order, from 1 to 10, we had your good self, Pete. We had Scott O'Neill in second position, Sam Gordon third. It sounds a bit like Ryder Cup or, or something. Um, they're all good. They just Some just happen to be listened more than others. Sam Gordon, number three. Peter Kalizos, number four. Drew Bailey, number five. Luke, uh, sorry, Drew Evans, number five. Luke Bailey, number six, Jared McCabe, seven, eight, John Russell, and nine, John uh, Daniel Walsh. Now, I did say 10, didn't I? Did I? Is my maths wrong? I think maybe I've come up with nine. But those were, in order, the most popular um, episodes. Now, and uh, I can tell you, Mike, it's te 10 would be Goose McGuire, episode 69. Uh, there I, you had go. A, I had a sneak preview of your top 10. It's like... It's like top of the pops. You don't find out until a Sunday night who's going to be the number one. That my apologies to Goose who who came out number ten. He was on the different uh, screen of my Microsoft Word document, so you can blame um, a William Gates for that one. You um you've listened to some of them, or at least that's what you've sort of told me every time we've we've had a coffee, and I've I've wanted to believe you. Are there any uh, in that list that um? You wanted to give a bit of a shout out or you'd listen to and you thought were interesting perhaps that people might want to go circle back and have a listen to uh yeah so i um actually mentioned this to you off off air before we started recording um yeah i did the episode with scott o'neill uh from rethink uh that was a really interesting one for me because i didn't know scott before i heard the show and um i was actually so moved by the uh, the quality of that episode that I actually got in contact with with Scott subsequently um and I was partly interested to know just how he became so good at doing media and 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 podcasts and live interviews and so on because he's he's got just a very good uh, natural skill for it and I think part of it it obviously really helps that he knows what he's talking about I think people in life you know when you lack self-confidence it's usually because you just don't know what you're doing right and uh but he, he obviously knows his stuff through experience and that really came across in the episode so that was one that i particularly enjoyed to the extent that i, I did actually uh personally contact scott and ask him specifically that where did he get um so good at, at presenting 
Yeah, that was a that was a great episode. Um, we were talking about commercial property really as a as a highlight, and of course, as with all the guests, I get the opportunity to hear a little bit about what sort of drives them, what they wanted to do in school, their passions, and that sort of stuff. If you're listening live, I'd love to hear from you. Um, if you had a favorite episode that you listened to, or if you are on the recorded version of this podcast which hopefully will be up tonight um you can always reach out on the geared for growth website or there's there's ways to there's ways to um to find me um i looked uh going back to that first episode pete i, I looked at the transcript of our may 2017 one because i was really trying to pin you on some crystal ball predictions that just you know just went pear-shaped just for a bit of fun i mean i don't know if it's 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 you being a pommy that makes me want to pick on you or the teetotaling that I just can't get behind. But I was really trying to pin you on something, but I don't think I could. Um, you were pretty cagey with the predictions, but, um, yeah, there was nothing out there that I, like, I wish I'd said, you know, Pete Wargent says property prices will grow by 80% over the four. Yeah, there was none of that sort of stuff. Is there anything that surprised you in the last couple of years, though? Um, well, maybe not not so much from a um yeah more the specifics yes I, I think it was quite clear at the time that we were coming towards some kind of a peak it was a combination of things construction was really teeing off apartments everywhere so that was a known risk at the time buying off the plan in in sydney and melbourne especially in the cbd areas and so on uh it's hard to remember exactly on the timing whether we were before the the credit squeeze really hit its straps um so I, I guess that's why i was probably a bit reserved in terms of the predictions um yeah if you tend to see out there you get you get two extremes there's all there's the uber bullish uh sort of predictions and forecasts and then there's the doom and gloom where the next uh, the end of the world is always just around the corner and most of the time you find out that the reality is somewhere between the two it's just um I think 2017, we had a number of factors that were actively designed to cool the market, and they did exactly that. So um, I think at the time of speaking, we're coming into a, a probably a bit of a, a mini upcycle for property with the budgets and uh, record low mortgage rates. Um, at some point, presumably the borders will reopen. But 2017, it was a bit more of a Right, things have gone a bit crazy for property investment lending and that needed to be called, which it was. Mm. Was there a part of you really early on in the pandemic that got anywhere close to those media predictions of property prices to drop 30%? That seemed to be the the sort of the zeitgeist of journalists um, covering property, that it was going to be a 30% drop. I mean, we didn't really know exactly how bad this uh, pandemic was going to spread or, um, you know, really enough about it to, to, to figure out what the outcome was. Did you, did you ever feel like property was, was likely to drop by that amount? Um, well, no, because, um main reason being in Australia and elsewhere that the price of housing has long had a, a very close link to the cost of money and if we had five interest rate cuts in 12 months then the the RBA came in very quickly with its term funding facility so uh without getting too technical but lenders could tap that facility at basically close to zero percent they could roll off their offshore funding and mortgage rates were only going to go one way from that time so I never thought 30% was a realistic prediction. 
I think by the time um, CBA put out its um, scenario analysis, and they talked about a 32% decline scenario, I, th I think by that stage it was pretty clear that wasn't going to happen. They were probably, it was a bit of a cry for help, uh, give us some more support here. Pretty unusual to put it out in an ASX release in the way in which they did, but banks always do stress tests. And I, I don't think I ever thought that uh, the, the property price, uh, at least the median price, I don't think 30% declines was ever on, on my horizon, uh, maybe for specific areas or property types. But um, yeah, I, I think for, for most people, transaction volumes have been very thin. And if it's one of those things, if you, if you went to sleep on the 1st of January this year and woke up in two years time, you probably wouldn't know any different and prices would be higher is my guess. Mm. One thing that I hear you say a lot is that things are never as good or as bad as they seem. And I think anytime people are fearful about something, that's a good thing to remember because I've, I've found it to be quite true. In some ways, it's a bit depressing. Like things are never as good as they seem. Um, but if you, yeah, if you frame that on the, on the property market, uh, I think it's, it's good advice. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the things I saw in sport, you know, um, when you look at, so I used to play with Alistair Cook back in my youth, and he never used to get overexcited. If he if he scored a big double hundred, or if he if he was out first ball, he was very level headed. And if you if you're planning to be around in sport for a long time, that's a really good starting point. Whereas most of us in our youth got very carried away with success, and then way too down in the dumps with the uh, failures, and that doesn't actually doesn't help you in sport. But it's um it's it's probably it's true in life in general that often you get an enormous setback and then but for no apparent reason the universe sends you a, a good pitch next so um, yeah and I, I think with the economy and investing it's it's not it's not accidental that that's the case because um, I think since the 1930s it's, it's become quite clear that when the economy goes into a downturn uh, the deck is stacked to a certain degree. The governments will start spending more. Reserve banks or central banks will cut interest rates until things get better again. So uh, th those sort of doom and gloom scenarios, at least at the, the national level, they rarely play out for any long period of time. And we're, we're coming out of the recession now. It's been six months and the stimulus will start to take hold. Let's let's talk about um, property investing, which I guess is the whole point of this this very show. For for people that are wanting to accelerate their investing or begin in their investing, what what do they need to know? What what's some of the best advice that you can build people that are wanting to 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 build enough of a portfolio that it does change their their life in terms of the freedom that they have or their financial position in retirement? Uh, yeah, I've always believed when it comes to property and quality over quantity, um, that's that's just been my experience, is that uh, the, the number of specific assets that you own doesn't necessarily equate to the degree of success that you'll uh, experience. So obviously, it can be quite appealing to people to... Uh, especially when younger and uh, you know, proud of their achievements and stuff to talk about you know, I own 45 properties or whatever it is but I think um, especially in this um, era uh, post 2014 and the changes to APG 223 in, a, in other words there's a there's a m maximum amount of debt that you can carry 
as an individual. So you really want to make sure you make the absolute 100% best use of your borrowing capacity. So quality over quantity is probably a good starting point. Uh, try to get the absolute best return out of every dollar because at some point you'll cap out. I think that's good advice. And it leads me um, into the, the next thing I wanted to talk to you about. So you you obviously are a man, but you have a business, a couple, in fact, um, Alan Wardron as a buyer's agent. Of course, you're working for hedge funds and all sorts of different um, organizations with your, your financial ad advice and strategy and that sort of stuff. But um, buyers, buyers, which is a relatively new venture for you as well. Can you can you talk about the role of of buyers agents and and perhaps contrast what it's like here compared to other countries with with advocacy on the side of the buyer? I well, you've done the pitch for me there. Right? <laughs> I, I think uh, when we so I was a founding investor in that company, buyersbuyers.com.au, and. Um, the guiding principles when we had the early board meetings, um, that was really the big one, is that we've got about 2 to 3% of properties in Australia that are bought using a buyer's agent. Um, if you went to the US, that would be 45% or thereabouts. And in some states, um, <coughs> excuse me, in some states it would be higher still to, to the extent that people actually believe that it's mandatory. And um, in some parts of the states, um, if you go to buy a property without a buying agent, the the, the seller's agent will, will tell you to go away and find one because they just don't like dealing with inexperienced buyers. So look, it's a different model over there. And in other parts of the world, if you went to, say, Singapore or India, you know, you'd be looking at every transaction practically that uses the buyer's agent. So that was our guiding principle. We want to... Um, if we if we've achieved what we set out to do, then um, a, a, well, most times that people buy a property, they will use a buyer's agent to help them reduce time, cost, and stress, and to de-risk the process. So, uh, at the moment, it's two to three percent. Uh, we want that figure to be five, ten, twenty, fifty, however far we can take it. So, and that's that's what got me on board with the idea because. I've seen enough uh, horror stories where people have um, opted to buy without assistance and made big mistakes. And we know that buyers agents can really make a difference with their skills. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I'd have to say, um, surely by accident, the majority of the guests that I've probably had are buyers agents. Um, a lot of the time is, 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 is through referral, someone saying this is a good person, you should chat to, they've got a good story. Um, but certainly, I think investors have really enjoyed the opportunity to hear about the philosophies of the different buyers agents because they're not always a one size fits all. I mean, you might want a buyers agent because you just want to buy a property in Paran, or you want a buyers agent because you want to find the best hotspot across Australia. Um, there's a million different services as well with you know auction advocacy and that sort of stuff. So um, yeah, there's a lot more to buyers agents than I think Australians um, understand. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, you, you you touched on one of the key points, and that is that to date it's really been seen as something of a luxury item, mainly used by investors. That's a bit self-selecting as well because. A lot of buyers agencies prefer to work with investors because they tend to buy less emotionally and, and quicker. Uh, but for a lot of home buyers, and 
uh, we especially thought first home buyers, they very rarely use a buyer's agent. And yeah, in many respects, your first purchase is the most important. So that, that was something we really wanted to change to give first home buyers um, an option, um, a cheaper alternative. If they can't afford to pay for a full service and a full search, can't they simply find a due diligence negotiation and acquisition service? Um, so that's one of the things that we're doing a bit differently on a national basis because you know, it's inherently unfair, really, if a first-time buyer scrapes together a deposit, but, but because they can't afford a full search fee, they're left to do it for themselves. Um, so that was one of the angles we wanted to tap, not just um, servicing investors and the affluent. We want everybody to get a fair go. Yeah, I love that. And I think um, there's a banner that's uh, that's popped up. Oh, hi to Oliver Jackson, who is uh, will take that. <laughs> Take that as a, uh, <laughs> a question, but Oliver, if you do uh, have anything um, else to to give there on the um, on the live questions, there, if you've got a question for for Pete um, or anyone else listening, um, chuck it through. We'd love to. We'd love. It could to be a loaded comment, couldn't it? The lad, it could be, it could be a a positive or a negative uh, piece of feedback. <laughs> He could be that one-star review. You just never know with a with a guy like that. So, Pete, um, the situation such as we're in now, one thing that I've tried to avoid during the podcast is saying anything topical like this is happening today because sometimes these are recorded three weeks in advance. But, but since we're live and in the hope that people listen to this relatively quickly, um, what do we need to know to to navigate the market such as it is at the moment? I mean, right at the moment, we've sort of had Victoria come out of their lockdown. That seems to be going gangbusters. I'm going to be interviewing some Victorians soon um, live. We've had a tremendous stock shortage, which I think has really held the prices up really well. Um, With the spring selling season, I assume, coming at some stage, what what do you what do you think is going to happen, and what do people need to navigate at the moment? Uh, I think what will happen, and not just in Australia, is um, a long period of low interest rates. Um, I see it was mooted in the UK this week that ninety five percent mortgages will be back for first home buyers. Um, Boris Johnson. Um, Channeling is in a, in a Maggie Thatcher wanting everybody to be a homeowner, not a renter. I, I think we'll see a lot of that in Australia too. I think um, it's, it's known to have a very strong multiplier, getting first home buyers into the market because then they furnish properties. You know, they they couple up and furnish and spend uh, on uh, household goods and white goods and so on. I, I think we'll see, um, <clears throat> and I think the. The early budget leaks actually touched on this that there'll probably be another 10,000 first home buyer places opened up for low deposit first home buyers. And I think as well, because in many areas now with um, record low mortgage rates, it's actually cheaper to service a mortgage than rent in a lot of cases. So that will probably tilt the balance in favor of the first home buyer. And generally, investors, um, once they see prices starting to turn higher, they'll probably come back in as well. So I think um, I haven't seen the budget figures yet or the details, but I expect that's something that's coming. And um, yeah, I I think um, transaction levels have been extraordinarily low this year for obvious reasons, but 
um, you just, uh, I mean, I've got clients who are dentists. They did no work at all through March and April, but that work doesn't go away. And once they opened up again, swamped, you know, and I guess it's the same with, with home buyers pent up. Yeah. Do we believe these budget leaks? Like it just, it seems so carefully crafted that they're leaking these key bits of information. I mean, th this is not actually a leak, is it? It's like, no, it's, it's prepping. Yeah maybe, yeah, maybe we're just a bit too um, bit too cynical. Uh, that's the way it's done these days for budgets. Um, no big surprises on the day normally. A lot of information is filtered out through the week and actually through yeah, through the year as well. You often get ideas sent out there just to test the feedback as much as anything. Things like early superannuation release. You know, the idea gets floated in the financial media and if it gets shot down, well, it may never see the light yeah. of day. But, yeah, it's very common for budget um, news to be drip-fed out through the week. Yeah. So this podcast is um, it's, it's media. It's a type of media. And I think that the state of property media in Australia, according to um, a couple of key people that I've chatted to recently, is, is pretty poor. How, how do... How do people know who to listen to and, and what to listen to? And I'm quite happy for people to say, don't listen to this kind of show. But there's there's media outlets that just kind of seem really, really interested in keeping the circulation going and less about fact-checking. And I think um, Media Watch even exposed a property company recently for not um, checking that someone with some comments had a... Had a um, uh, they didn't disclose that they had an interest in a development or something like that. H how do we? How does a property investor that's just trying to learn the the basics and further their knowledge know who to follow, what to read, and what to listen to? Yeah, I, I don't think that's um, going to go away because um, I, th I think as media has moved online, it, clearly you need some kind of attention grabbing headline, and it, it's more and more common now that the, the headline doesn't actually match. The article content um, because mm. the, the article uh, writer doesn't necessarily get control over that so we get the most uh, uh, sort of attention grabbing headlines but sometimes the the content itself is far less dramatic um, and with the rise of online media that's that's only going to be here to stay there's a lot of attention for eyeballs now um, so I think um, I mean have you discern what's good and bad information, I guess, experience, longevity. Uh, people have been around, generally speaking, and just like I was saying with, with Scott and his content, you can tell that he's credible because he actually has been there and done it. And you can hear um, by his experience that he knows what he's talking about. So I think that's, that's really it. Um, I think a lot of, as you said, a lot of media pieces, are, the, the goal of media is really to drive traffic and eyeballs, which isn't necessarily the goal of a property investor or somebody getting into property. So you probably need to find uh, some more uh, independent viewpoints, but also, you know, people who are actually living and breathing what you want to do. I think it's good to also understand what what people are selling too. And I guess if it's if it's media like like print media or online media like the property newspapers and things, they're selling those clicks, aren't they? Um, so I've got to work on my headlines. I think we call this episode uh, Pete Wargent predicts 80% property price plummet in the end of 2020. And then, uh, yeah, the content will be different, but uh, we'll get people in, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, there's plenty of those outlets out there. You know, they they uh, they feed, they give the audience what they want. You know, and they they get the uh, people who want the the doom and gloom headlines will naturally gravitate there. And it's the same on the other side. You know, so uh, yeah, I think you need to uh, just try and be discerning about the information you consume because uh, yeah, if you go back over the years, a lot of the uh, the headlines have, have been a long way uh, off the truth, shall we say? Yeah. Well, Pete, um, I've got to say a very big thank you for being uh, episode guest number one. I emailed you as a as a starry eyed stranger, and I chat to you now as a friend. I appreciate you coming along uh, the the journey all all these these years, reaching a hundred. It's nice to raise the bat with you. Thank you to everyone as well who's listened along the way. The guests that I've had couldn't do it without you, of course. Um, and yeah, very very happy to 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 be at this milestone and we'll keep chugging along i think so pete um just so we can let you go if there's one piece of advice that you can give property investors what would that be um property invest well i think we've already covered on that i, I think if you if you're inexperienced then get some assistance with the property buying process you'll thank yourself later and that can even be a cost neutral service you know, if you save money on the negotiation so i think for people looking to invest and buy property then uh, get an independent buyer's agent on your side um and yeah just research and research uh, but it, i think it, it's worth remembering it's a long-term game you know people focus very much on what's happening in the media this week and this month um but that's not really that relevant to your time frame as a property investor so Try and have a big picture strategy and uh, try not to worry too much about what the media is reporting each week. I love it. Sagely, as always, Wardrant, big fan of your work. Thanks for coming on board again and uh, we'll see you for episode 1000. Pleasure, Mike. And uh, hopefully they reopen the borders soon so we can get down to, uh, to uh, Melbourne and catch up with our industry friends down there for a drink or a, or, yes. or a Diet Coke in my case. Yeah, if they bring one by accident, you just sort of kindly shuffle it over in my direction, which uh, may or may not have happened before to my detriment. But I'm looking forward to it, mate. Hopefully I'll catch up with you soon. Pleasure. Thanks, Mike. Cheers.